Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh, producer here at Realm. A new episode of Ominous Thrill is ready for your ears. It's Advice After Dark. Late night radio host Belladonna delivers extreme advice to the delighted horror of her audience until a creepy listener forces her to confront the brutal consequences of her show. Here's a preview. Welcome to my live stream, Bella. Say hello to everyone. What do you want? Click the link. Watch along. I'm not clicking links from psychos. You put that trash on the radio every night and I'm the psycho. You sound like you need help. I'm not one of your fake callers. My show is very, very real. Do you want to know what it's called? No, I don't. It's called Belladonna Gets What's Coming. Starring you. What? It's really starring me, but it's all about you. And you'd be surprised how many people want to watch you get what's coming. I called the police. They'll be here any minute. Yeah, well, we should be done before they get here. Find Ominous Thrill out now, everywhere you listen. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 36. Tanya tensed. She recognized the sound of a gun barrel locking into place. Drop your weapon. She recognized that voice, too. Gabe, breathed Tanya. Drop it, Miss Morozova. There's no need to be so formal. She was still looking into the darkness. She thought she could feel Gabe's breath on the back of her neck. Tanya. A pause. Please. Maybe it was the please. That tiny hint of politeness. Tanya laid her gun on the ground and lifted her hands into the air. And then she turned around, slowly, her heart pounding in her throat, Had the host ever been down here? Had it been Gabe all along? He stood with his feet planted apart, his gun pointed at her chest. The light from the bare bulb haloed around him, smudging his features into unreadable shadows. Tanya stared at him. Nadia and Alistair and the ice be damned. She was ready to die. The moment Elia kicked that door down, she had assured her humiliation and the humiliation of the KGB. And for all that, the host was still alive, still at risk from the ice and the flame. What the hell does the KGB think it's doing? Gabe asked. The muzzle of his gun yawned at her. Stopping a defection. They stared at each other. Like this? Gabe said. Really? Shoot me, Tanya said. 
I know you're only doing your job. Gabe frowned. Tanya watched his finger tap against the gun, her calm like an anesthetic. She felt nothing. But then he let out a long exhalation, and the gun dropped away, out of sight. He squeezed his eyes shut and ran his free hand over his face, mussing his hair. Tanya felt a lightness that she realized was relief. Maybe she hadn't been so ready to die after all. He's not here, Gabe said. His hand fell to his side. Sokolov, we had a plan in place, and we got him out of here before the gunfire started. Did the KGB brass seriously think this was worth it? Gabe let out a sharp, disbelieving laugh. <laughs> you kick our door down, start firing guns. It's practically an act of war. It was an act of desperation, Tanya said. But of course it was more than that. This wasn't just about stopping a defection. And it wasn't just about the KGB either. That was merely a convenient side effect. At its core, this was the flame sending an ice sorcerer to her death. You have to bring him back to me, Tanya said in a low, dangerous voice. This is bigger than you think. Why, because he's a host? Tanya gasped, took a step backward. Her heel knocked into her gun and sent it clattering away. Yeah, I figured it out. How? Tanya stared at Gabe, trying to work through this revelation. In the dim light, his eyes were sunk into shadows, and he looked eerie, like he was capable of real magic after all. Was it Jordan? That woman, she doesn't understand. No, it wasn't Jordan. Gabe stepped toward her. His gun glinted at his side. Tanya curled her fingers, wishing she hadn't capitulated so easily. My goddamn hitchhiker let me in on it. Went off like a warning bell. His voice was tight with anger. That's the real reason you're here, isn't it? So you can lock him up in that nightmare barge? Tanya recoiled as if she'd been slapped. Had he seen in the darkness? She hoped not. You don't understand what's at stake, she hissed. If the flame got hold of him, or the ice. I'm not handing him over to you, Gabe snapped. He'll be safer in America. You don't know that. The flame operates everywhere. Don't be blind, Gabriel. Give him to me. I can keep him safe. She stressed the eye, a bit of desperation. Maybe he'd see he didn't have to give the host to the ice, only to her, and that she might find some other way. Give it up, Morozova. Gabe jerked his chin toward the stairs. Now get the hell out of here before you make the KGB look any worse. A dark expression flared over his features. Not that I give a shit. You don't understand what you're doing. I understand fine. Gabe stepped away from her. She didn't move, didn't reach for her gun. His gun stayed hanging at his side. He hesitated at the base of the stairs, and for a moment, Tanya thought he'd changed his mind, that he'd seen reason. 
that he couldn't protect the host from the flame or the ice. Good luck, he said. Tanya glared at him. He bounded up the stairs, disappearing into the light above. For a moment, Tanya stood in the darkness, and then, as if a switch had been flipped, she followed him, just in time to see him sprint out the front door of the house. Tanya stood at the top of the basement stairs, her heart hammering. She knew she should tail him to the host's new location and continue with her mission, but he'd be watching for her. He certainly wouldn't let her kill the host. He would never see that was the only way. And that made her realize she was too tired to follow through with her plan, too defeated. She was starting to hear things too. She was certain someone was calling her name, a distant voice, like a dream. Grandfather, she thought stupidly. And then she realized, no, it was a woman's voice. Nadia, it was Nadia calling her. Tanya, are you clear? A pause. You better not be dead. There it was again. Relief. Relief that Nadia wasn't dead either. Clear, she called back. Where are you? In the kitchen, Nadia shouted. And Tanya wove her way through the back of the house. The kitchen was small and bathed in yellow light. The floor tiles cracked and dirty. Nadia was slouched at a rickety kitchen table, her gun resting beside her. She smiled when she saw Tanya. Not dead after all, she said. The defector's gone. Tanya almost said host, but Elia was in the kitchen too, leaning up against the far wall. They knew we were coming somehow. They probably took him away before we even got here. She didn't say anything about Gabe. The thought of him sent anger seething inside of her. Didn't he understand what he was doing? How he was putting the host at risk? At least Tanya had found a way to serve both her country and the ice. Gabe only cared about his country, about getting that brilliant mind to American science. All he'd seen, and he still didn't recognize the real threat. I assumed as much. Nadia gestured at Elia, who straightened, ready to do as a superior officer asked. Go look for clues, she told him. See if you can find where the Americans took the defector. Elia nodded and ducked out of the kitchen. Tanya and Nadia stared at each other. We got lucky, Nadia murmured. The host not being here. Don't say that. It's true. Nadia swung her legs in an arc as she stood up. She grabbed her gun off the table. I don't think we should go after him either, but we need to make it seem as if we tried, for Sasha's sake. Tanya whirled away and marched out of the kitchen. She had no right to be angry, not when she had let Gabe run off without following, but she also didn't agree with Nadia. Not really. I'm going to see what I can find, she said, and she stalked into the hallway. If she couldn't find the defector, then at the very least, she could find Gabe, to try one more time to make him understand the urgency of this situation. 
that it wasn't just about the KGB. And yet he was so blind in his patriotism that he couldn't see it. Tanya ducked into one of the doorways, halfway down the hallway, and switched on the lamp. It was a living room, with a shabby threadbare couch, a beat-up old table. Someone's mug of coffee was still resting next to a chess game. Tanya sighed. Always the chess games. She walked over to the table. The game had been interrupted by their raid. One of the white pawns lay on its side, askew. She reached over and set it back up. Then she stopped, her hand hovering midair. Something about the arrangement of the board struck her as familiar. But that was nonsensical. She did not have time to play chess these days. The only time she ever even saw chess boards was in Sasha's office. All those boards set up like this one. Games frozen in time as he waited for his opponent to write him with the next move. And then Tanya's whole body went cold. No, she whispered. She pushed the chessboard around so she could get a better look at the positions of the pieces. No, she had seen this board before. She had looked at the pieces without looking at them. And yet now she saw them for the first time in a different place, a different situation. Tanya's throat was dry. She backed away from the board, one hand out to steady herself. Sasha and his correspondence chess. All this time, he had been playing with an American. The KGB chief of station did not socialize with Americans outside of the diplomatic circuit, even if it was just a game of chess. But if he was thinking as a flame operative, perhaps he did not see his opponent as an enemy. Tanya had to find Gabe. Now. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Three. The phone jangled through the silent apartment. Gabe rolled over to his side. He'd been lying in bed, but hadn't been sleeping. He couldn't sleep. He kept seeing goddamn Tanya standing there in the yellow light of the safe house's basement. He'd lured her down there during the firefight, after Dom had whisked Sokolov out to safety. Maybe he'd been trying to keep his word to Alistair, to keep her safe. Maybe not. Gabe kept thinking about how terrified Sokolov had looked when they told him they were moving him again, that there was a chance that the Russians knew where he was. Terrified and betrayed, like it was their fault the Russians were acting like maniacs. The hitchhiker had throbbed in Gabe's head, a slow, steady pulse, as Sokolov pulled on his coat and Dom whispered to Gabe, Don't you worry. I'm taking him to the most secure location I know. The phone was still ringing. Gabe pushed off the bed and ambled toward it, his chest tight. 
He wondered what message waited for him on the other end. Something encoded, no doubt, an unknown voice asking a nonsense question. Maybe they'd be telling him Sokolov was secure. Or maybe they'd be telling him Sokolov was dead. Either way, Gabe knew he had to pick up the phone. Hello, he said. He leaned up against the wall and waited. Gabe? Jordan? The last person he had expected. But hearing her voice stirred up a whole new storm of fears. Had Tanya gotten a hold of Sokolov somehow? Dragged him off to the ice? Had she followed him when he left the safe house? He'd taken the necessary precautions, was sure she hadn't. Oh, good, you picked up. Jordan's voice was fuzzy through the phone lines. Your little Kajepesnik friend is here. She needs to talk to you, says it's urgent. Gabe stiffened. She just fucking attacked us. She's not my friend. At least she hadn't followed him. A pause. Muffled voices on the other end. Then Jordan came back on the line. She insists it's not about that. Gabe clenched the phone and considered hanging up. Bullshit. Jordan dropped her voice to a low whisper. She looks terrified, Gabe. Something's not right. I think you need to talk to her. I'll be here the whole time. It's her job to look terrified, Gabe snapped, when she wants to. And it's my job to know when people are lying. You want my advice? You need to come down here, see what's going on. She won't tell me anything. And then Jordan hung up the phone. Had to make sure she got the last word in. Gabe stared down at the receiver, the dial tone whining in the distance. He sighed and set the phone down. He wouldn't say he was convinced, exactly, but he also knew Jordan wouldn't jerk him around. He could give a shit if Tanya looked terrified. But Jordan sounded scared, and that had him nervous. He pulled on a clean sweater, his boots, and a coat, and stepped out into the cold night. A figure stepped out of Gabe's apartment building, and Josh sat up in the seat of his car and peered through his binoculars to get a better look. Even in the gloomy light of the street lamps, he'd recognize Gabe's broad frame anywhere. Josh tensed his fingers against the binoculars. Don't do this to me, he murmured. And he told himself that this wasn't what it looked like. That Gabe probably just needed to walk off the extra adrenaline from the firefight at the safe house earlier. Except, except Josh had seen him. Seen him in the basement. After helping Dom escort Sokolov outside to safety, he'd come back inside through the basement entrance, hoping to get the jump on the KGB upstairs. But instead, he saw Tatiana Morozova, and he saw Gabe lowering his weapon and telling this known KGB officer that the defector was gone. Josh had felt the world tightening around him when he saw that. Gabe made his way quickly down the street, hands tucked in his pockets, head tilted down. Josh almost considered turning on the car's engine and driving away. Gabe was his partner. He had to trust that his partner was doing the right thing. 
but the doubt still lingered in his chest, like the last vestiges of a bad flu. Josh slid out of the car, careful to avoid making noise. Gabe was far enough ahead of him that it probably didn't matter. Still, he was a seasoned professional. He knew the same tailing techniques Josh did. But Josh wasn't about to let himself get caught. He followed several paces behind Gabe, keeping his steps soft and quick. Gabe, for his part, didn't hesitate, didn't make any sudden turns and disappear down some convoluted path. In fact, it didn't take long for Josh to realize where Gabe was headed. Bar Vodnar. He recognized the buildings around here, even in the dark, and sure enough, the bar materialized up ahead, the windows glowing golden in the darkness. Was this it? Just Gabe going out for a late drink after a nightmare of an exfiltration op? Gabe banged on the door, and Jordan answered like she was expecting him. Gabe disappeared inside. Josh slipped forward. He just wanted to confirm that his suspicion was only paranoia, absurd and unfounded. He sidled up alongside the bar, breezed past the windows without stopping. It was easy to peek inside with the lights turned on and the night so dark. But what Josh saw inside turned him as hard and cold as stone. Gabe wasn't the only one looking for a late night drink. Tatiana Morozova was waiting for him. Bar Vodnar's windows were lit up like Jordan had kept the place open late. The door was locked, though, and Gabe banged on it, then tucked his hands into his coat to keep them warm. A few seconds later, the door swung open, and Jordan sighed when she saw him. She's waiting for you. She stepped aside, and Gabe went in. The floor gleamed. The chairs were all sitting on top of the tables, legs up. Tanya waited in a booth at the far end of the room, sipping from a glass of beer. She peered up at him, her eyes huge and haunted in the golden light. What the hell do you want? He asked. Your flame. This was the last thing Gabe had expected. He looked over his shoulder to find Jordan, ready to see what she thought about this madness. But Jordan had vanished. I'll be here the whole time, his ass. She promised she'd let us talk alone. Gabe turned back to Tanya, who was peering at him over the top of her beer. I'm not doing this with you, Gabe snapped. And for a moment, he was back in the basement of the safe house, ready to shoot through Tanya's heart. He couldn't bring himself to do it. Not after the conversation with Alistair, and not with her watching him the way she had. Christ. He'd never been one to let sentimentality get in the way of his work. You lied. Tanya's voice pitched into a mocking singsong. Oh, my headaches. Oh, let's call up a golem. She paused. You knew all along. I have no goddamn idea what you're talking about. Gabe stomped across the room. Tanya didn't take her eyes off him. He slid into the booth across from her. I hate this magic shit. Why the hell would I be flame? Tanya's frightened expression wavered. Then you're stupid, she told him. 
and can't see the flame man under your own nose. Gabe rolled his eyes and slouched back against the seat. My men are loyal, he said. I don't have any spies on my team. Sorry you don't have that kind of assurance in the KGB, he paused. And sorry you didn't get your man, he added sarcastically. Sokolov is safe, and this magic nonsense isn't going to get me to give him up. Tanya's eyes glimmered. I didn't say there was a Russian spy on your team, you idiot. One of your men is flame. This is not about getting Sokolov back for the Russians, but for the ice. Are you listening to me at all? She took a long drink of her beer. Gabe suddenly didn't feel so sure of himself. This is not about Russia and the West, she hissed. You know the defector is a host. I am not going to deny that it was the KGB who ordered me to raid your safe house. But I am asking for your help now. Not as a spy, but as a sorcerer for the ice. The room spun around. Gabe grabbed Tanya's half-empty beer and took a long drink. Tanya didn't protest. Fuck, he said when he had finished. No, no one on his team was a traitor. He could be sure of that. But could he be so sure none of them were flame? He didn't know enough about magic to be certain. Fuck, he said again, more softly this time. Yes, said Tanya. They eyed each other across the table. You want to turn him into an icicle, don't you? Gabe finally said. Tanya looked down at the top of her beer. There was that haunted quality again. I don't want him to fall into the hands of the flame. The ice's methods are... Her voice faded away, and she closed her eyes and shook her head. It doesn't matter. I won't let the flame have him. I don't care about the Americans anymore. But the host cannot go over to the flame. Gabe sat on moving. Tanya's cheeks were flushed. Her chest rose and fell with her quickened breath. She didn't like the idea of the barge either, he realized with a jolt. She wasn't going to come out and say it, but he could tell, the way she hadn't looked at him when he'd brought up the frozen bodies. You know what the flame is capable of, don't you? She asked in a hard voice. He hesitated, then nodded. Alistair had told him about the flame, about what they wanted to do to the world. Burn it down and start over. We can't be on opposite sides anymore, Tanya whispered. Gabe knew she was right. Josh bolted around to Barvodnar's back door. He remembered Gabe mentioning it once or twice, and was grateful to discover that it actually existed. Unfortunately, it was locked, but the lock was old, and Josh was sure he could pick it. He slipped his set of picks out of his pocket and jammed them in the keyhole, then rattled them around. The door sprang open. Josh leapt back. His picks clattered to the ground. Jordan Reams stared at him. Let me in, Josh said. I need to know what Gabe is doing. Gabe's talking to an acquaintance. He's talking to the KGB. Jordan sighed, fiddled with her bracelets. 
You don't know what you're dealing with, Mr. Toms. I know enough to know that you are interfering with business of interest to the U.S. government. If you don't let me in, there could be consequences. Jordan rolled her eyes. Josh felt a flash of irritation. I'm serious, Miss Reams. She sighed, and Josh was prepared to push the matter further, to flash his credentials and make veiled threats. But then she sighed again and pushed the door open. I know you're not going to give up, she said. So just come in, listen away, it doesn't matter. A trap? Maybe, but he was going to have to take the risk. Thank you, he said as he walked in, but she just shook her head. You won't understand. He didn't know what to make of that, but he could hear the low murmur of Gabe and Tanya's voices in the next room. He crept up the stairs onto the balcony. The lights were off up here, and it was easy for him to sink into the shadows. Josh pressed himself against the wall and turned toward the balcony to listen. Gabe's voice drifted up from below. I'm not doing this with you. Then Morozovas, you lied. And did she say something about a golem? Josh frowned. He leaned closer to the balcony, trying to make sense of this senseless conversation. Ice, flame, magic. It had to be some kind of code. And Jordan had warned him, you won't understand. Part of him hoped that Gabe had just been grooming Morozova on the side, that this wasn't what it looked like. But why would they need this ridiculous code if that were the case? The voices fell silent. Josh pushed himself closer to the balcony's edge and peered down. He could barely make out the booth where they were sitting. Gabe took a swig of Morozova's beer. Friendly, casual, like they'd known each other for years. Josh jerked his head away and pressed against the wall. His heart pumped. He's just grooming her, he told himself, over and over, but those weird code words jangled around in his thoughts. I won't let the flame have him. The host cannot go over to the flame. Who was the host? The flame. Was ice Russia? It made sense in an obvious sort of way. Was the United States flame? But no, she had said the Americans, as if they were separate. Gabe and Tanya's voices murmured together, too low for Josh to hear now. A dark anger churned inside his chest. He wanted to leap over the balcony, pull his gun on both of them, demand answers. But, of course, he didn't. He wasn't stupid. He just sat in the darkness, listening. This way, Mr. Sokolov, watch your step now. The American pointed at a place where the sidewalk had crumbled away, leaving a jagged hole in the cement. Wouldn't want you tripping and hitting your head. He grinned and winked. Maxime gave a thin smile in return. The American was a friendly man, gregarious and charming. He'd been the one to pull Maxime out of the safe house before the KGB arrived. And in the car ride over, he'd even offered Maxime one of his cigars. It'll help calm your nerves, he said. 
It hadn't, but Maxime still appreciated the gesture. We're in the city, Maxime said, a stupid observation. But after the horror of tonight, he only had room in his head for stupid observations. Is that wise, moving me so close to the KGB offices? You'll be fine, Mr. Sokolov, you have my word. They were at the front door, and the American, Dom, his name was Dom. Maxime knew he needed to remember the names of his protectors. Reached into his pocket and extracted a key, a big, brass, old-fashioned thing. The lock let out a click and a hiss when the key turned. Odd, thought Maxime. This is a neutral safe house, Dom said as he pushed the door open. That's why it's safer. The KGB doesn't know about it. Dom stepped inside, blending into the shadows. Maxime hesitated. What did he mean, a neutral safe house? Wasn't the whole point of any American safe house that the KGB not know of it? But only for a second, because he did not like being out in the open. When he crossed the threshold, a knot of tension formed at the back of his head. He rubbed it. He was so tired. Dom swung the door closed, locked it. There was that strange click and hiss again, and flipped on the lights to reveal a sparse living room. Maxime wrinkled his nose. The air inside had a strange, metallic odor to it, as if they stood in a machine shop and not a house. Maxime rubbed at the growing ache at the back of his head. Dom glanced over at him and gave a small smile. Let's get you set up in one of the bedrooms, he said. Make sure you're nice and comfortable. Maxime nodded. The metallic scent strengthened. It wasn't unpleasant, exactly, just unnerving. He couldn't place where it was coming from. Dom led Maxime down the hall and into a small bedroom. No furniture except for a mattress in the corner. I know it's not exactly the Ritz, Dom said, but you'll be safe here. Maxime nodded. The pain in his head was spreading down his spine. He needed to rest, lie down, try to sleep. He moved across the bedroom and sank into the mattress. Dom watched him from the doorway, leaning up against the frame. It's been a long night, Maxime said apologetically. That it has. Dom grinned, pulled out his half-smoked cigar. I know just the thing to help you unwind. Maxime looked up. Was the lock on the door glowing? No, it was only the moonlight. Only his imagination. Tell me, Mr. Sokolov, Dom said, chomping down hard on his cigar. Do you play chess? You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.